This is one of those Sundays in which I'm particularly mindful of all the churches, and there are many, who really struggle with their music ministry. So much so that they're not able to put together one choir. And I'm particularly grateful that I get to be a part of a church that has not only one choir, but two choirs. Uh, our Christ Church Choir under Steve Pilkington's direction and our parish choir under Amanda Smith's direction. Um, please, never take that for granted. Never take that for granted. We are so incredibly blessed. Amen? You know, one of the most amazing and beautiful and infuriating things about my mother <laughs> is that she never hesitated to invite strangers to the family dinner table, which forced her rather introverted son into all kinds of uncomfortable territory. In my childhood and youth, I much preferred the carefully preserved rhythms of a quiet home where I would never, repeat, never be confronted. This would be my preference, where I would never be confronted with the unpredictable dynamics of interacting with strangers. I wanted home, I, I really felt like I had enough of that at church. I wanted home to be different. I wanted home to be that place where I could always count on being in my sweatpants and my sleepy time clothes. That's what I wanted home to be. But my mom was my mom. And my mom had an extraordinary gift of hospitality, beyond what I've ever encountered in anyone else, quite frankly. And it was authentic with her. It was part of who she was. And for that reason, there were always, and that's not an exaggeration, there were always, they would multiply. I don't know how it would happen, but there were always at least two vanilla Pepperidge Farm cakes in the freezer that I was not permitted to touch. Because in my mother's vocabulary, those were designated for unexpected company. And so on any given Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Thanksgiving or Christmas, it would not be uncommon for there to be somebody strange at our dinner table, a visiting missionary, somebody from the congregation my mom wanted to get to know better, a visiting family from one of our sister congregations in Zimbabwe or Guatemala, or maybe a college student who had no place to be over the holidays, and make no mistake about it, I would grumble quietly to myself. But my mother had this phrase that she often used, a phrase that I simultaneously loved and resented. This was my mom's phrase. There is always room at our table for those who have not been invited elsewhere. There is always room at our table for those who have not been invited elsewhere. Yeah, I miss my mom. So many of you understand and realize that when Jesus was teaching about the reality of the kingdom of God, he often used parables, these strange little stories that would subvert hearers' expectations and illuminate these countercultural priorities that characterized the new reality that he was incarnating. Take, for example, today's story from the Gospel of Matthew, a strange story about a king who comes to the conclusion that the time is right for him to organize a big wedding banquet for his son. 
So he sends out these invitations, presumably to that community's socioeconomic and religious cream of the crop. We don't exactly understand why what happens next happens. We're not given the particulars. But the recipients of the invitation find all of these different reasons not to attend the wedding banquet. And the king, sensing that he's not getting much of a response, sends his servants out into the community specifically for the purpose of helping the invitees to understand the urgency of attending his son's wedding banquet. But these invitees are stubborn in their refusal to attend. So stubborn, in fact, that some of them even killed the king's servants for pressuring them to attend, which... You know, I'm almost positive was not one of the response options in the RSVP. I mean, it's not, (laughs) yeah, I'll be there at the wedding. No, I won't be there at the wedding. There's no third option. Not only will I not be at your stupid wedding, but I'll slit the throat of your servant if he comes to pressure me about it. Not an option. But think about the dynamics of the story. Violence in response to invitation. Doesn't it call to mind the brutal violence that has so frequently been done to those various missionaries that God has deployed into the world over the course of history. Voices of invitation, voices of disruptive truth to which our world has so frequently responded with abject rejection and even violence. I'm thinking about people today who've occupied that role in this complex history of Israel and Palestine. Voices of invitation to something different. Voices of disruptive truth. So often responded to with violence. Well, the king in the story is horrified, outraged at the treatment of his servants. So he sends his troops into the community. Not servants this time, soldiers. And they deal swiftly and severely with these invitees who killed the servants annihilating them, destroying their habitation. Apparently, these invitees grossly underestimated the urgency of this particular banquet. But I would ask you not to lose yourself so completely in what I would describe as the Tarantino portion of Jesus' story. (laughs) That you lose sight of the fact that ultimately this is a story about something joyful. This is a story about a wedding banquet. And the king, stubbornly refusing to allow all of these rejected invitations to ruin his son's wedding banquet, tries something else. He sends another group of servants this time into the community, this time with this specific instruction. Okay? Invite everybody. Don't discriminate. Don't try to determine who the good people are and who the bad people are. Don't put people into categories. Simply invite everybody to the wedding banquet. And that's exactly what these servants do. They become a veritable hospitality committee, gathering together folks who are eager to attend this wedding banquet. Why? Because they're living in a world that had repeatedly told them that they have no business attending that kind of a ceremony. They have no place at it. And the methodology works. The banquet hall is packed, standing room only. The wedding guest list, however now includes a number of people that the original invitees might not have wanted to um, engage with over time. It's a different kind of party 
because the invitation has been expanded. So one would think that that would be a great place to end the story, right? All is well in the world. Celebration is plentiful. Strangers have been graciously invited and welcomed. But apparently that would be too tidy an ending for Jesus' strange little story. I say that because the king, in making his way around the room, discovers a wedding guest who is not wearing the appropriate attire. Apparently at this gathering, this attire was a necessary and expected expression of respect for the occasion. And this guest, for whatever reason, refused to adorn himself in the garment. And so how does the king respond? Not well. He has this particular guest tied up and thrown into a place that is described as the outer darkness, where when people come to understand the gravity of their offense, they can only respond with weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Here, Jesus says, the kingdom that I came into the world to establish is something like this little story. The kingdom that I came into the world to establish is something like this story about a wedding banquet and some disrespectful invitees and an expanded guest list and a really strict dress code. The kingdom that I came into the world to inaugurate is something like this story. There's a part of me that wants to simply go around the different sections of the sanctuary and say, what do you make of this story? I mean, what do you, how does this resonate for you? Here's all that I will say. This story that Jesus tells inspires me to ponder God's peculiar way of doing things. And more specifically, I find myself pondering today what we might describe as the banquet of God's grace where the guest list is always far more expansive than I would be inclined to make it, truth be told. And where I might just encounter some people that I was convinced were not going to be there. People that in my own mind, maybe I wouldn't say this out loud, but in my own mind, in my quiet thoughts, I might have come to the conclusion that they should be written off as not to be invited. And isn't that part of what this story communicates about the nature of God's grace? Isn't part of what Jesus saying that is that isn't part of what Jesus saying that the banquet of God's grace has a guest list and that guest list has been so radically so mind-bogglingly expanded through the life death and resurrection of Jesus that now everybody gets invited to the table Everybody gets invited to the table, and it's no longer our responsibility to invest spiritual, emotional energy in categorizing people. Who gets invited? Who doesn't? And by the way, just so that we're clear, this is precisely why Christ Church makes it such a strong priority to be a reconciling congregation. Hear this. We're not a reconciling congregation to be trendy. We're not a reconciling congregation to accommodate some societal agenda. And we're certainly not a reconciling congregation in order to signal some kind of virtue that might mitigate our hetero guilt. But we are a reconciling congregation so that members of the LGBTQIA community who have too often been told by the church that they're not invited to the church's banquet will always understand 
that they are invited and welcome here and advocated for here and valued here. And likewise, as long as we're talking about such things, this is also why we make it such a priority to be committed to the work of dismantling racism in all of its forms. And we are. We don't do that to be trendy. We don't make that a priority simply because it's part of some conversation in society, although it, all, it certainly is. We're committed to anti-racism work precisely because persons of color who, because of systemic racism, have been made to feel less than welcome at a variety of tables in our culture, might always know that they are invited and welcomed here and advocated for here and valued here. It's also why you hear us talk so much about ministries of outreach and justice, you know, our Sunday feeding ministry that we call Sharing Table, neither the Esperanza in Washington Heights, our connection with seniors at the Methodist home, even opening our doors to those who are struggling with alcoholism and who are endeavoring to live one day at a time in recovery. See, we emphasize those ministries not because we're interested in staying busy. Oh, Jesus is coming back soon, everybody look busy. It's not that kind of a thing. We do it because there are portions of the human population who've been led to believe that they're not invited, not welcome. But every time we engage in this ministry, we communicate clearly that those portions of the population will always be invited here and welcomed here, advocated for and valued here. See, this is what I long to be able to tell my mom. I, I just have come to understand over time that she was more theologically on point than I realized back in the day. Only I didn't realize, I didn't realize that she wasn't simply talking about the dinner table. She was talking about the banquet table of God's grace. There is always room at the table for people who have not been invited anywhere else. That's the gospel that we proclaim. That's the expansiveness, the relentlessness of God's grace. But, quick caveat, Please, pay attention to your attire. Because this is one of those banquets where wardrobe matters. <laughs> Wardrobe's an interesting biblical image. It's a recurring image. It finds expression in a variety of ways. I'm thinking, for example, about the New Testament letter to the Colossians, third chapter, 12th verse, where we are told specifically to clothe ourselves. Wardrobe, right? Clothe yourself, more specifically, with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And doesn't that sound like a spiritual wardrobe? And maybe that's part of what Jesus is getting at in his parable. Maybe part of the reason that the king gets so bent out of shape over this person who's not wearing the right attire is that Jesus wants us to understand that maybe it would be best for us to leave the t-shirt of self-righteousness in the drawer so that we might adorn ourselves in the more elegant garments of humility and meekness and patience. Maybe Jesus is telling us that it would be a good thing for us to lay aside the familiar overcoat of what? Moral superiority? 
so that we might adorn ourselves in the more elegant garments of compassion, kindness. So, you might not know this if you're new, but we are one church in two campuses. And one of the things, and I'll conclude with this, but one of the things that I so value is that at our Washington Heights campus, we have a Park Avenue campus here, and we have our Washington Heights campus. And one of the things that I value about the Washington Heights campus most is that every Sunday they offer a bilingual worship service in English and in Spanish. And then following the worship service, the congregation at Washington Heights offers a homemade meal, really big meal. And the entire congregation participates, including the increasing number of migrant families that have been making their way into the Washington Heights campus largely because of their language needs. And it was a couple of months ago that Tara and I had the opportunity to worship at uh, Washington Heights and we stayed for the meal. And I'm telling you the truth when I say that the hospitality in that meal was astonishing. It was astonishing. And what moved me most was the extra attention that the congregants pay to the migrant families. Those migrant families are treated like honored guests at a banquet. They truly are. And I struck up a conversation with one of the migrant families when I was there, and the 10-year-old daughter said to me in English, ah, this feels like home. This feels like home. And as a member of the Washington Heights congregation was walking us out that day, I made it a point to affirm her for the kind of ministry that the congregation is doing with these migrant families. And her response to my affirmation was stunning to me. She said, you know, these migrant families aren't invited to many tables in New York City. But they will always be invited to our table. And then two things happened. I thought about my mom, and then I thought about Jesus telling a story about a banquet where everyone is invited to the table and where everyone is invited to put on a spiritual garment of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And friends, as I hold all of that in my heart and in my thoughts, and as I hold in my heart and thoughts the brutal conflict that is raging in the Middle East, even as we gather for worship, I find myself longing for the day, see if this makes sense to you, but I find myself longing for the day when the entire church of Jesus Christ, the entire church of Jesus Christ will see itself not as an arbiter of the banquet guest list, but as a beautiful reflection of what it looks like to be dressed rightly for the party. May it be so. Amen.